Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each week I zoom in someone who's dope and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the mobile university for entrepreneurs and I'm your host, Dr. Will. We are getting closer and closer to episode 500 people. This is season seven. Yeah, thank you, alhamdulillah. And I am here today with two guests, Darcy Beckagard and Michelle Blanchett, who have written the Startup Teacher Playbook. And we're gonna be talking about things from that book that is related to education uh, overall. And we'll see what else we get into into this conversation. So we had a lively discussion before the recording, but I wanted to have them on because Michelle has been on the show previously. And in going through their book, it's very interesting because they're taking the idea of business and applying it to what we know as educators. Uh, so for those who'll be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourselves? I'm Darcy Bakigard. I grew up in North Dakota and I've been a teacher for 10 years and then became a professional development coach and have been very passionate about education. Like I always wanted to be a teacher to help change the lives of students and just help make things better. Kind of that passion to just improve things for all students and a couple years ago, I met Michelle and just clicked with her. There were so many things that how we, the struggles we had with professional development, the things that bugged us about teaching, the, the politics of teaching, all of these things, we really related. And through all of that, I got to help create the Startup Teacher Playbook. And thank you for having us here so that we can share our ideas and talk about the book and how more teachers can be empowered to take back their professional learning. Hi, and I'm Michelle Blanchett. I'm super excited to be back on the Dr. Will Show. Thank you so much for having us. Um, yeah, I'm a former teacher. I've taught in the U.S. and abroad, um, and I've noticed that regardless of where I've taught, some of the same pain points kind of exist. Um, teachers have great ideas everywhere. I think most of us, I've actually, I've never met one who didn't. Um, every teacher goes in to make a difference in the lives of young people, and so we started noticing uh, that we could do more with our professional learning time to help teachers uh, achieve just that. Mm. So here I am at 47, uh, working in a school system as a district instructional technologist. And I can tell you 10 years ago, I would have never thought this is what I would be doing. Hmm. How did you, what did you think you'd be doing when you were growing up and how did you find yourself in education? I thought that I would, I thought that I would be a teacher, um, but I thought that I would be a biology teacher. And then I got very into speech and theater through high school and started doing theater. My undergraduate degree is actually in theater, um, acting and directing. I have a minor in dance and humanities. And I started working in the theater industry for a while and just felt this gap and went back and got my teaching certificate and my English degree. Um, and I think I always wanted to do something 
that allowed me to really interact with other people and to create things with other people. And so there's this weird thing, like there is that similarity between theater and education, at least it makes sense in my brain, that it's really about a process of creating something beautiful that you're sharing with other people. And so whether you're creating, you know, the curriculum with your coworkers, but more importantly, just the learning experience that you create every single day in your classroom, that was like creating a production for me, like every day that the students and I were working on the production of their learning. And so I came from the theater background and love, love, love everything about creating that learning experience. Um, so I was supposed to be a marine biologist cave diving with great white sharks until I realized that was scary. Um, and so in any case, uh, one summer I, uh, I had come home from college and I got this internship working um, with schools in DC and they couldn't get enough teachers. So even though I was a bit young, um, they actually had me go into the classroom and, and work with students and I just love doing it. And then I, it just kind of made me change directions on where I was going to go because, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that kind of changes your journey. Like I just realized, like, I love, I love working with kids. This is a meaningful job. This is what I want to do. So you are the authors of the startup teacher playbook. What was the pain point for you writing the book? So as a teacher, um, you, you see what's working, what's not working. Like I, I can still remember working. Um, I was working in Manassas, Virginia. My kids had all these different needs. And I remember I was teaching the Punic Wars, which was, I can't think of a more irrelevant topic topic for them. Um, and I remember I was like, man, I just, why are we using PD time like this? I remember I had some some PD on Venn diagrams as if I don't know how to do a Venn diagram. And I was like, why aren't we using this time? Like my kids aren't engaged. Like I, I there's way more content we could be using to really, um, you know, create learning opportunities that are more relevant to what's going on in their lives. And it just hit me then like, okay, this, this, this time could be used better. Like our kids have needs now, our kids have issues now and we're seeing what's happening. We've identified problems. So why aren't we using this time to, to problem solve and collaborate with one another? So, so we can make these improvements for our students. Um, and so in any case, sorry, I got, I got distracted. Um, so really that is what kind of sparked the whole idea. I've talked to numerous teachers as has Darcy and mm -hmm. we have realized um, this is a space that can easily be revamped and for the better. And so that's how I was actually working on a project um, with PBS education and Darcy was a teacher ambassador for uh, the local station in North Dakota. And she was working on the exact same thing. How do we revamp the PD space so that teachers can actually use it to collaborate and, and you know, solve pain points in their own classrooms. And that's kind of what sparked the whole idea behind the startup teacher. Unfortunately, I think bad PD is a part of being a teacher. I've never, as Michelle said, I've not met one teacher who is like, oh yeah, every professional development I go to, every in-service, every meeting, every workshop is just totally relevant and helpful. And that is, it's painful when what you want to be doing is helping students, but you're sitting in a space where it feels like you're doing anything but that. So... We've done a lot of things uh, since going one-to-one -one at a lot of uh, 
our school sites. I mean, I come in and work with teachers, whether it be the principal has called me in to do like that whole get everybody together type training. I do in-person, you know, with teams. I do virtual trainings. I'm also putting together a PD library where I'm, I'm going in recording teachers um, teaching and teachers will be able to watch those lessons. I offer PD courses online uh, for teachers as well. And we mm-hmm. also have what we call Teacher Tech Thursday, where every week a different teacher leads a live webinar on how they're integrating technology into their classroom. So we're, we're trying just various ways in which we can deliver PD to our teachers that can help them get better at what they're doing, whether it's mindsets mm-hmm. or actually, wow, that's a practical way to do something. I never thought about it. Traditionally, why isn't PD working? And what is your vision for what professional learning should be? Well, first, I think what you're doing is an example of how districts should be adapting and tweaking things and trying to just catch up to how fast education is changing. And I think what you just said helps shine the light on what isn't working in professional development. And I think that's there's usually a disconnect between the time it takes for PD to catch up to the problems and the actual needs and interests of the educators that are attending the professional development. So like in reality, and COVID really shined a light on this, the needs in the classroom, the needs of students and teachers tend to evolve faster than out of the box PD can create responses. So some of those top-down responses, and yes, we need some of those for big issues. You know, every year I, re- I attended training on suicide pre- prevention. We need some of those things as professionals to help us do our jobs. But generally speaking, those big one-size-fits-all solutions just don't work and they take so long to be created that the problem is totally different now by the time we're getting this training. And then second, it also assumes that all teachers need the same thing. So you have an auditorium of teachers sitting there and they're all being treated exactly how we are told as teachers not to treat our students. They're being treated as if everyone has the exact same needs and interests. So I love what you just described. And I, I really appreciate that there's a movement right now of providing teacher-driven professional learning experiences like ed camps and Twitter chats. Um, even PD that provides breakout sessions where teachers have some choice is a step in the right direction, but it's still really not enough. I mean, we need to be providing teachers the time and the structure, as Michelle said, to work on their own ideas. So how do we take some of that time and instead of sitting in meetings, how can we be using that time to be identifying the pain points, as you said earlier, the things that aren't working in our schools, in our classrooms, and then using the brain power of the educators in the room to design solutions to those challenges. It would be empowering for teachers, like, right, they could be doing what they set out to do, making a difference in the lives of kids, but it also would just create faster responses to the challenges that we're experiencing. 
I think um, in PD right now, we're, we're, we still have a tendency to micromanage. We're so focused on teachers getting it wrong that we are ignoring <laughs> the capacity they have to get it right because most of them have great ideas to adapt. And, you know, you saw that in COVID where people are like, they're telling me I have to do this, but my kids would, my kids would respond better to this. And we're not trusting them to do that. And, and part of that is, you know, and then we have this professional learning space to enable them to, to work on these new initiatives, but then we get focused on seed time. Like, okay, how many hours were you sitting there listening to this person? And it's like, well, what if we kind of got rid of the seat time, let people, as Darcy was saying, you know, let, okay, they learned a new idea from EdCamp or from a Twitter chat, whatever. Why don't we use that time and give them credit for actually working on an idea and trying something out that they think will help the kids? So um, just just a few more ways we could, you know, keep keep moving that needle in, in that direction. Mm. Well, the pandemic has gifted and I said gifted, K through 12 mm-hmm. education, an opportunity to reimagine itself. Yet what we have seen is many school districts trying to fit what they have already been doing into a digital space, right? It's as to say the mm-hmm. square p- pig and the orange circle or what have you. They're just trying to do those things. We're seeing that it's failing for the most part. Mm-hmm. I want to get into leadership and their role, their responsibility, and what aren't they understanding about the needs in K through 12 education and why should educators actually rethink the way they run their classrooms? I love the way you said that and I can't agree more. I agree with you. I do think that this is a gift. We've been given the opportunity to truly take a pause and reflect on what's working and what's not working, um, both for students and teachers and the system as a whole. And unfortunately, it does. I also agree with you. It feels like we're just trying to take traditional sit and get teaching and, and turn it into online distance and hybrid learning. But I'm very hopeful still that as we wrap up this school year and we actually have time to reflect on what worked and what didn't work, we'll really be able to look at distance and hybrid learning and use it to inform teaching and learning moving forward. So I think we need to be asking some big questions, big questions, like kids haven't been in the school building for months. So do we need kids, particularly older students, high school students, do they actually need to be in the school building all day, every day? What other opportunities for learning could we be providing? What flexibility could we be providing for our teachers to give them a better work-life balance? How can we be using time and resources more efficiently? There are some really big questions about how we just, what school looks like that we could be grappling with right now that gives students more authentic and hands-on learning experiences. We keep talking about that, but we keep trying to cram hands-on authentic learning experiences from the business world and put them in the classroom instead of putting students in the business world. And that does exist to some extent. Um, But plus, if, if this experience, as Michelle just said, if this experience has taught us anything, it should be that teachers are freaking amazing at what they do. And teachers want We desperately want to give our students the best and even in horrible circumstances. 
I know teachers who went on a Friday and over the weekend had to turn all of their lessons into remote learning things for the next week, right? And they did it and they kept getting better at it. So teachers can do this. Why are we not letting them do their job? As Michelle just said, why are we still micromanaging teachers? Why can't we just get out of their way? I know teachers are at all different levels and all different experiences. We can't just get out of the way for everybody. We need to provide opportunity for support and resources and ongoing learning, but get out of teachers' way. Allow them to do what they do best, which is to teach allow them to do what they went into teaching to do in the first place, which is to make a difference in the lives of our students. Trust that teachers have the best interest of their students at heart. Trust that teachers have the time, the resources, and more importantly, the knowledge and the skill, and allow them to adapt. So from a leadership perspective, I think it goes back to the fundamental. The first thing leadership needs to do is just listen. Listen to their teachers. What hasn't been working for hybrid and distance learning? What did work really well? And how can we take the best of what we created on the fly in a lot of situations? How can we take the best from those situations and integrate it into the system moving forward? And how can we look at the things that just didn't work in the past that are kind of futile and frustrating um, and make it work better since we have had this distance and hybrid learning experience? I would say too, there's just a big obsession right now with learning loss. And frankly, I don't know what that means. And so um, we keep, we're like panicking because, you know, we're still doing standardized tests this year. Do the kids have the content? And then it's like, okay, let's drill more content. And it's, it's like, guys, you're, you're wearing the kids out. Like, it's kind of like, okay, you want to instill a love of reading, make them read at grade level, make them read 20 books a day, or, you know, and they just kind of drill, 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 drill. And that kills kids curiosity that kills their love of learning. And so I feel like sometimes it's just even refocusing on like, what counts? What is what does learning look like? Like, what is school kind of thing? And, you know, it's, it's nice because I've, I've really seen a big push, I think, back on building relationships. And I wanted to mention this because you had talked about leadership before. And it's interesting because leadership has two, two meanings, right? On one hand, we use it to signify administration. But on another hand, leadership means building relationships. And actually, that's a big part of our book that we focus on is the leadership, uh, which means building relationships, really nurturing your skill set so that you work with people to achieve goals. Um, and that's something we emphasize in our book. And I think it's kind of like the intangible part of, of innovating and supporting educators is we're constantly working with our kids to make sure that 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 they do okay, right? Like, and it's not just about you know their test scores or anything. We want to make sure they're good, like that they have good, um, their, their mental well-being is okay, like that we're building and nurturing this relationship that when they leave our classroom, we've set them up so that they can be successful in whatever they're trying to do. And so um, that is something that as well, I think we need to kind of nurture. So leadership meaning administration in our, in our teachers is their leadership capacity, right? Is how do we trust them and nurture the skill set that they already have, but to continue to build relationships with students. And that way, when they are innovating, they can make more things happen. 
But earlier, you know, as you mentioned, Darcy, about do kids need to be there? We've heard a lot of teachers complaining that students weren't doing the work. Now, part of that was we have honestly infantilized kids too much in this country. We're not preparing them as parents or as schools to be productive adults on a grander scale. Like everybody get a trophy just for showing up. Uh, you hand out work, they don't turn it in and there's no consequences for that. Now, I'm not saying you gotta do zero, 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 but what you can't do is allow kids to develop the mindset of, if I don't do my work, someone is gonna to come to rescue me at the end of the year and I get the pass, right? And so when that happens, now I, I believe it has led to what we're seeing now of kids not showing up, kids not doing the work because in their minds, they know I'm not going to fail. No one is going to allow me to fail you, you, you see what I'm saying? Because the system does not allow me to do that. Go ahead. So I think, so that's what's interesting. In our book, we don't give any solutions to anything. What we give are tools. And we entrust you as the teacher, the user of this book to find the answers. So when kids aren't showing up, like we've talked to teachers and they'll say, the kids aren't engaged. Well, you need to solve that problem, don't you? Like that's a number one issue right now. Um, or if kids aren't coming in, if they aren't handing in the work, what do we do? And that's part of, I would say, the startup mentality that we're going to talk about later mm -hmm. is how do you adapt and evolve? Like when challenges challenges are coming, how do you pivot? And these things happen constantly in the classroom, right? So we want students to succeed. So if we're addressing this as a challenge, like it, you're like, you're, you're just clearly defining a pain point right now. What do you do about it? And, and that's why we've created some of these tools is because usually you need to sit there with your team and discuss these things and get a solution that's going to work for your students, your kids, your school, um, because that's just the only way uh, in our, in our mindset to really, to really solve these issues. So we're going to get to this, this methodology because, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I'm all about financial literacy and teaching entrepreneurship within K-12 education. And inshallah, my wife and I will be releasing people. You hear this first. Our framework for teaching like an entrepreneur. So we can bring in the entrepreneurial mindset combining gifted educational practices to create a way to teach students to bring that sort of agility, adaption, creation into the classroom. My wife happens to be a gifted teacher. All right, so we're going to try to combine both our superpowers uh, together. So in your book, you have the startup methodology, right? So what is it and how can it be used to disrupt the normalized sit and get professional development we are all too familiar with. So first of all, it's super exciting to have this book and we, I cannot wait to hear more. Um, so 
I would say we don't specifically have a methodology. What we do is give the tools. So we've done design thinking. Design thinking is great, um, but it takes a really, really, really long time and you almost never get enough hours to do it properly. Um, we also have done lean methodology, which also has its merits. And I think as long as you take the empathy component of design thinking and tie it into lean, I mean, it's interesting. And if I'm speaking gibberish for you, um, basically lean methodology is just a way of quickly seeing if idea has value, right? It's just a, it's just providing tool. <laughs> it's providing tools. Um, so you can, you can test things out. We always talk a lot about taking risks in the education space, and then we don't really provide an outlet to take healthy risks for our students. So in our book, what we do is go over, um, we provide tools for teachers to just kind of use entrepreneurial thinking. And what's so interesting, and I'm sure you'll vouch for this, when you say entrepreneurial thinking, most people think about starting a business. That's what not what entrepreneurial thinking is. It's about being resourceful. It's about how do you turn a problem into a possibility given the resources, knowledge, expertise, whatever you have, what are you gonna do about it? Um, so we um, strongly just start with this, like, okay, um, how do we incorporate an entrepreneurial mindset and what does that look like? And for us, it's just using the spaces we have available that might not be working that, you know, well. So we've emphasized professional learning. You can even revamp staff meetings, et cetera. And how do you turn those into different kinds of spaces where you get the opportunity to identify a challenge? Um, and when we say challenge, it doesn't need to be something negative, right? It can also be an idea, but, you know, how do I get my students more engaged? Um, or, you know, how do I increase communication with parents? Like, it, it, it's something that you, you want to do something about. Um, and you turn it into an idea and, and using that time to craft an idea so you can actually do something about the challenges that, that you see. To what you said earlier, Dr. Will, about the tech teachings that you're having a teacher come in and share a tech idea. This methodology is a great way for other teachers to take that inspiration and say, ooh, what would that look like in service of my students and the needs of my students? How would I take that tech tool, that idea, and use it strategically to solve a problem? And like Michelle said, problem um, in the classroom so that I can have a better teaching and learning experience. Mm. So... In your book, you have the educator canvas tool. What is it? So this is, so when you ask, you know, to go over our methodology, I would say basically what we do is just set up like, number one, have an open mind. Where can you use space um, to identify challenges and do something about it? Then when you have that space, what do you do? So I would say our methodology largely is the educator canvas. So the educator canvas was inspired by the business model canvas. Um, I've done quite a bit in the social startup space. And I emphasize that because, um, again, you know, when people think business, they think starting, you know, just getting money. Um, but no, social startups are really about um, using business to solve societal challenges. So impact is valued over profit. Um, and these models are great because you know usually if you are a nonprofit you have to spend a lot of time um, looking for money so getting donors um, you might even have to you know change some of your objectives because of a grant that you receive so being a social um, business enables you to actually create value solve a societal challenge but sustain yourself um, so it's just a it's just a nice way of doing business 
Um, so in any case, uh, with the business model canvas, it was cool because in different countries, so it started in Madrid, then Zurich, uh, Geneva, then back in DC, this tool, it was just one pager and it basically outlined how to start a business. So in the old days, if you had an idea for a business, you would have to basically write like this long research report kind of thing, a business proposal and see if your idea had value. And it, this took a ton of time. Well, with this one pager, it went over the basic aspects of the business and you could work um, with other people and just say, hey, you know, is this idea worth pursuing? Is this something that's worth checking it out? And what was great about it is you didn't need a speaker. You didn't need a consultant. This one pager was enough. It asked the guiding questions people needed so that they could do it themselves. Um, and so for us, um, looking at this, it was like, wow, what if we had a page like this? for teachers. So instead of hiring the consultants, instead of going along with another fad, we could just get out of people's way. And this asked them the right questions that they needed to think through themselves to see if their idea had value and if it was something worth taking the risk for um, and implementing it in the classroom. Mm. So how do they do that, right? I know there's <laughs> questions, right? I know there's, there's questions and, you know, things for them to ask themselves, but how so we, do they, you know, I mean, how do they implement that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, it's, it's honestly that easy. So you basically just print out the document. It's free on our website. Um, we added our book kind of as a personal coach because if you're confused about it, but it's literally that you start with a challenge question and it kind of just takes you through. So then you have a challenge question and then you have a solution. Um, and a solution is what you want to try. And then it takes you through, we've divided kind of into four columns and those are mixed. So first you're gonna establish goals. Why are you doing this? Um, if you don't have goals on why you're doing it and how to measure if it's successful, how do you, will you be able to know if that solution worked or if it didn't? And, and if it didn't, that's okay. Um, the next thing we, we go through um, in this one pager is insights. And that's about seeing um, it's about getting user input. So, you know, get, get, get student voice in there. If you have an idea, run it by your kids, see if they, see if they're game <laughs> or not. They'll, they'll usually be pretty honest. Um, the other thing we have with insights is, uh, we can all vouch for as teachers that it is a, um, industry very, uh, just oversaturated with resources. Um, so don't reinvent the wheel. Like we put this in there to see, okay, if you wanna implement a solution, how much of it do you really need to build yourself? So for instance, you'll see, you know, so many people making the same lesson over and over and over again. Uh, for me, you're being innovative by just figuring out how it's gonna work best in your classroom and with your students. You don't need to reinvent the wheel and start from scratch. So we just have people thinking about different aspects of their project while going through this document. Um, the next thing we think about is logistics, tasks, resources you need. Um, we've seen teachers think, uh, do things like, oh, you know, I, I'd love to, redesign my classroom and I, you know having this circle mat for story time is going to make all the difference and then you see the teachers requesting like 130 dollars to get it off amazon and and we're thinking why don't you just get it for five bucks off facebook marketplace you can easily find a rug on there um 
but getting teachers to think about like the tangible parts of, you know, just implementing your project. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing we focus on is execution. And this is a part that, you know, sometimes when teachers have new ideas, they, they, I would say this one gets the most ignored, but a being realistic with time, like, are you giving yourself ample time to actually do this? Or are you going to be stressed out? Like give yourself adequate time. Um, you know, some strategy, usually when teachers have an idea and we've seen this in workshops, we'll say, okay, are you, are you going to do this? And they're like, Ugh. and they're thinking about a specific person. And we're like, okay, well, your idea shouldn't be held back because of somebody in the building. How are you going to work around this? Or how are you going to work with this, this person? I mean, just helping people get a strategy so they can implement an idea. And then finally, um, you know, another box is just on managing relationships. So change usually involves stress, right? If you're bringing in something new to your classroom, to your school, people are going to have something to say about it. So how do you help people just, just manage change, not look at a new idea as something stressful, but just, you know, just something new and different. Um, and that's just another part of the process. So anyways, it sounds like a lot, but really it's just a, you know, it's just a project management tool. It's just, you already have the challenge. You probably already have the idea. This just kind of guides you through. Um, so you think about these things so you can successfully implement. We found that a lot of change in education is stopped by no and those no's come from a lot of different places sometimes it's no we don't have the money sometimes it's no as Michelle said it's that other person judging you and why do we have a negative connotation with someone being an overachiever like because I want to try something new in my classroom and I'm labeled an overachiever why is that a negative thing like why are we judging each other in education like, why can't we, you, you know, like there are all of these, but there are all of these no's, the no's we tell ourselves, like, no, that might not work. No, I don't have the time, like all of these no's. And so a lot of the questions on the canvas are designed to help you anticipate those no's mm -hmm. and figure out how you're going to deal with them so that no doesn't become the answer anymore. And that barrier that prevents you from trying something new. Mm -hmm. And I want to Oh, sorry. One more thing. You're asking when to do it. And it's kind of funny, you know, when after you're like fired up, like you, you, you someone actually comes in and they have great ideas and then they're like, okay, now I'm going to give you 30 minutes to work on it. And then they just kind of drop mic and walk off stage and everyone kind of just starts chatting or you start grading papers or, but how many people actually do something with that idea? Like they're, they liked the idea. They, they're talking about it. They're excited. But what we've noticed in giving professional learning is just saying, hey, I'm going to just give you some time now to do it. People don't. Project management is actually difficult. And that's part of the reason why we created this tool. And I would say this is, this is really where you would use this tool as well. Let's, let's get into the sort of the mindset around this, mm -hmm. right? Because there are still many teachers who feel I get a worksheet, I get in front of the class, <laughs> I'm talking, I'm hot stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hot. My, my, you know, I got call and response going on. I'm asking my kids, you know, what's five times five? Yeah. 25. They're like, oh, my class is popping. And then you have administrators who come <laughs> in the classroom and observe, and they see that going on, and they're like, I'm about to get them a four on their observation. They just look at all that engagement. And you give them this, this you, you know, your, your uh, canvas tool and they look at that and they're thinking, some may say, 
there's nothing wrong. You know, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing more I can do. There's nothing more I should be doing because I'm hot stuff. <laughs> Get into the mind, mindset of, of, you know, of being, you know what I'm saying? Like stepping outside of what you normally do. I think part of it is we acknowledge, quite honestly, this book isn't for everyone. Mm. Uh, there are some teachers, if, if that is, if you have that fixed of a mindset about yourself, like, right, there's all this talk about growth mindset. If your mindset is so fixed that, that you're the awesomest already, um, maybe this book isn't the book for you. But I have a feeling the people who are seeking out your wisdom and are seeking out the wisdom of the people, like anyone who's a true lifelong learner, wants to keep doing things and the reality is that what worked period one at least for me what worked for me period one didn't work period five because the kids were hungry the kids were more awake um period five was when band happened and so there weren't any band kids in that class which at the high school level changes the dynamic of like who's in your classroom um so that's great that that's working this is all about taking opportunities. And as Michelle said, it doesn't have to mean that you're already bad at something or that there's a problem problem. It just means you are going to expand your repertoire. You wanna try something new. Maybe you don't even need to do it for yourself. Maybe this is something that you coach and use with your students and you help them think about their learning or you help them tackle a challenge in their, um, like as a project-based learning experience, but everyone um, can be doing things better. And I think Michelle has um, some insights directly from the book. I saw her pulling some stuff up. Yeah, we have this section, the last section we have is on uh, mental stamina and we use it as a self-care section, but I would say some of this also should resonate with leadership. So we pick these five traits and cause we were wondering the same thing. Like we have workshops and we're like, okay, how come some teachers are like, yeah, let's do this. And others are like, no. So, you know, what, what, what is going on here? And so we noticed it was kind of about, you know, the teacher's attitude. And when we, when we talked about the attitude, we noticed there were traits that when they were nurtured, people were more open to innovating and where they were neglected, people kind of shut down. And so the ones we picked were heart, optimism, curiosity, confidence, and vulnerability. So for instance, when you're curiosity, when you're nurtured to be curious, like, oh, what are you learning right now? You know, what new things have you tried out? What, it, you know, what new, what new tools have you, you checked out or what, you know, when you're nurturing that, you're going to get that, like, especially from your staff, but mm -hmm. when you neglect it, when you don't care, like, okay, that's good enough. Oh, you've been doing the same exact lesson plan for the past 10 years. Awesome. Um, you're not, you're not pushing anybody, right? Like you're not, you're not nurturing that teacher's curiosity. Um, so how can you expect them to, to keep growing per se on their own? So I think it's kind of, I mean, it goes both ways. Like you, you, you obviously, you know, want teachers to take care of themselves and work on these things, but some of this does go back to admin. Um, for instance, heart, you know, as soon as a teacher stops believing in what they're doing, um, how can you expect them to innovate when they, when they're demoralized, they're, they're not going to keep going. What motivation? When they've heard, when they've heard no so many times and they've any opportunity, any idea that they want to try, they're getting all of these no's. Why would you keep putting yourself out there if you just keep getting stepped on and judged and demoralized? Like, why would you keep doing it? Why would you stay in the teaching profession? <laughs> 
So I do think with the, with this, with the canvas and what, and whatnot, it does, it obviously works better when you have supportive administration mm -hmm. and it works better when you're, when you're still fresh, like when you, you know, when your well-being is good and you know, you're ready to make a change and you believe you can and, and, and you're, you're ready to go. So, um, you know, some of these, these mental factors do, I mean, they're a part of the innovation process, right? So the mindset definitely does need to be there. So when you talk about this, this other mindset, I like how you brought this in here, but getting to that self-care piece in terms of avoiding mm -hmm. burnout, right? We, we've seen a lot happen during this pandemic with administrators having these certain expectations and, you know, even, you know, parents are like, I want, you know, I want my kids back in school. Uh, I've even heard, you know, parents my gosh be like listen i got five kids all at the house i need them out of my house I, they gotta go mm -hmm. uh and and there's politicians who are like school got look if you're if school to you is only in the building then you got problems anyway but mm -hmm. they're like school gotta be open we gotta do all this stuff and then teachers are like hey man i got to worry about this pandemic i got 30 kids in my classroom this virus is popping through. And by the way, I'm teaching online. And for many of them was a, the first time this emergency and all this stuff, we've got, gotten into that. Mm -hmm. So teachers before the pandemic had already had a lot of things going on and they were dropping like flies out of profession mm -hmm. anyway. Now you bring this on and all this extra stuff and you're going to see more teachers lead the profession in the next couple of years. Yeah. How can teachers invest in their self-care and prevent burnout? I think you're spot on on so many things there. There are surveys that say 25%, up to 25% of teachers plan to be done at the end of this year. And I think this year, particularly, because of all the things you just said, Will, it's more than burnout even, it's demoralization. Mm -hmm. um, it's that teachers don't feel valued. They're not being allowed to do that critical piece of what they set out to do. Um, and there are all of these obstacles. And I, I wrote, we've been, Michelle and I've been talking about this and we have a piece that we're working on. Um, but I was reflecting on a year ago, how when things first shut down and people were having to teach at home, there were all of these parents who were like, oh my gosh, pay teachers a million dollars. Teachers are amazing. Like, I can't believe this is what they do all day long. Like I've been homeschooling my child for 15 minutes and I'm ready to quit. Like, how do teachers do it? And so there was like all of this gushing and support for teachers last March. And come this fall, it was all the things you said. And it was all the talk about how teachers are part of the problem that are preventing schools from opening. And it was all this negativity and this criticism and judgment on teachers who, like you said, were trying to keep themselves safe. We're trying to keep their families safe. We're trying to juggle all of these different things. And we're being asked to teach in a way that is pedagogically completely different from how they were trained. And they want the best for their students. So like, that's not, they need to work to do that. So, Part of that piece, I honestly believe that tapping into professional learning to help teachers solve problems that they're seeing, of empowering the teachers, of giving that power back to teachers to truly craft solutions that are in service to their students, 
will help combat some of that demoralization. As Michelle just said, that part of it is on leadership to help craft some of that time to not worry so much about the test scores of like, give that power back to teachers, let them create, let them craft. My advice to teachers, and this is a semantics thing, but I was an English teacher. We always say like, oh, I need to take time for myself. I need to take time. And for me, that made me feel guilty because it made me feel like I was taking time away from something else. Like, right, like if I'm taking the time, I'm taking it away from my students, from whomever else and from all these other things that I, I want to be working on. So I've been trying to reshift just how I talk about self-care and that I'm keeping some of my own time. This is my time. I do not have to say yes to everything and I am not obligated to give all of myself to everyone. And so it's about keeping some of your own time. In the Startup Teacher Playbook, Michelle mentioned these five traits that we found seem to be the traits that help teachers be more willing to try new things. And we think that it, are there the traits that help you just be what we call a startup teacher, someone who's willing to do this process, who wants more, who wants to do, who wants to change things. And so the fourth chunk of our book, we have a whole bunch of activities that can help you foster and tap into some of those places where you might be a little depleted because of all the stress in your life. So we have a whole bunch of activities that we've created but I think it starts, there's two things going on here. One, like I said, I think there's a bigger factor of demoralization going on right now. And we need leadership to step up and really help craft learning and professional development environments that are going to help recharge and give teachers their purpose back and help them be back in the driver's seat of leading in education. And, and then we as teachers need to continue to be um to be responsible for ourselves in keeping some of our own time and getting some of that work-life balance. Um, and that for me is some of those things we talked about earlier about what could school look like moving forward. If part of it could be trying to be a little bit more cognizant of that work-life balance um, of how we design schools so that it is, it's more feasible for people with little kids to remain teaching. It's more feasible for people to do these things and we're serving the needs of everyone in our community all right okay so before we go I, I want to ask you about because your book is about you know using business principles uh in education and we happen to be in a time and place uh, in this country where people see business, they see capitalism, they see charter schools, they see the influx of money from outside coming in. And this is, you know, people starting to feel a little, a little different about that. It doesn't sit well with them when you see these things coming in or you say, hey, business can influence education in this way. How can using business principles actually assist educators in developing a greater connection with their students, uh, as well as assist them in propelling their students forward? I think um, 
I, I just think as with many things, people, you just can't think one dimensionally about something like capitalism doesn't just mean like one thing, like you had mentioned capitalism or economics. And it's funny. So like, I always get fascinated, like people will say, okay, economics, make money versus the environment. Well, no, it's not. Or even with COVID people, it was business or health. No, that's why it's challenging. It's supposed to be business and health. Like how do we ensure people's livelihoods both financially and making sure they're healthy? Like that is the problem. And so I think, I think that's the biggest thing sometimes is we can't divide it like that. That's not how it works. Business with ethics can solve a lot of problems. And, you know, I mentioned earlier with social business, um, you know, because we do that too. Nonprofit equals good. Business equals bad. No, not necessarily. Um, you know, if if this nonprofit has to spend 80% of their time searching for donors um, so that they can sustain <laughs> themselves, they're only getting 20% of their time to make their impact. If the, a sustainable business with the same mission can, you know, spend 10% of their time focused on operations and the other 90% on making the impact, well, who's making the greater impact? And then, you know, there's all kinds of, of um, studies too, like investing in women, it, it boosts profits. Um, look at look at the way the, the green in the sector has just exploded, right? So um, green finance is huge. I, this is this is all about solving problems. So I think when people get, um, I think people just need to just stop and pause before like, you know, they feel a need to take a side because things don't work that way. Um, you know, even I've, I've had with the private public and charter, there are kids in all of those. So uh, for me, I wanna support the teacher and in some communities, like, yeah, we need better public schools. Um, so what do those communities do until those get there? Um, and then, uh, you know, you need both, right? Like, so I, I don't have the answers to everything, but I do know that I, we waste a lot of time, I feel like, um, taking sides instead of exploring new ideas and being open to what, what could work. So I think we spent more time, you know, talking about a vision. And the reason we focused on business is, is not because, you know, we're trying to get anyone to start a business. Again, it's that entrepreneurial mindset. How do we turn problems into possibilities? And what the business world does have that the education space doesn't is tools to support people, to validate ideas and test them out. And that's really what we, we took from the business world that we thought um, could be useful for educators. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Um, this has definitely been uh, an interesting uh, conversation, and I'm hoping that the listeners will go. And there's going to be, you know, in the show notes, places for you to go buy the book. Go buy the book, people. Support them and learn and grow uh, for yourself. I, I think one of the things that I hope in reading the book that you take upon yourself is to Invest in yourself and don't look at your own professional development as something that you must be beholden to your school district to give you, that you must mm -hmm. take charge of your own learning for your own career, for your own purposes. Uh, so thank you again, people. You know how I do this. This podcast episode will be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe and leave your comments and share it. Now I like the stars. But can I get me some reviews and some comments because I'm trying to be found and I'm trying to get Oprah on the show and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, thank you, Darcy. Thank you. 
and Michelle Blanchard for coming on and dropping so many gems. And thank you for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the Mobile University Freshpreneurs. As always, people, invest in you, EDU, peace.